this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Welcome to Temporary Admission. Now, we all love an art fair, but there's one very special fair that's opening this April that we couldn't pass by, and that's the 59th Venice Biennale. The fair, which started in 1895, is not only in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, but it's now regarded as one of the most prestigious fairs around. And what better way to learn a little bit more about the fair and one of the exhibitors than to speak to the creator of one of the exhibitions on show this year. And today, we're going to be chatting with the National Pavilion UAE 2022 Exhibition Curator and Executive Director of the New York University of Abu Dhabi Art Gallery, Maya Allison. Maya, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you. It's really great to be here. Fantastic. Well, why don't we kick things off the way we usually do around here and get to know you a little bit more. So could you tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you got to where you are today? I am the founding executive director of the art gallery at New York University in Abu Dhabi, as well as the chief curator here. My background is in contemporary art with a focus on art community, installation art, uh, contemporary art in general. And I've come to be very focused on the, the study of the art community based in the UAE, which has a long history um, that I've been working on making visible in my time here. I've lived in Abu Dhabi since 2012. And before that, I was the curator at Brown University. And before that, at the I was uh, on the curatorial team at the RISD Museum. So my background is in university museums and galleries. Wow, thank you. Well, obviously, we're here today to find out a little bit more about the Venice Biennale and indeed the UAE's pavilion or exhibition this year. But before we dive right into that, let's start with the fair itself. What exactly is the Venice Biennale? The Venice Biennale is sometimes referred to as the Olympics of the art world. And it is called this because of this comparison where each country sends a representative exhibition to the Biennale. Um, Not every country does this, but many countries do. And often that is somebody, either a solo artist or a group show curated by somebody who is representing what's sort of interesting and cutting edge and thoughtful um, from the country that it's representing. And each pavilion pavilion is a word really just for a space. So, the pavilion for the UAE is um, a very large empty space in a series of spaces like that uh, in what used to be a shipping yard. But pavilions in another part of the Biennale might be a custom built space just for that country where each year they give each every other year they present art from their country. So it, so in that way, it is kind of like the Olympics. There's even awards for the best pavilion and things like that. But The reason that it's important for me and for a lot of the art world is because it's a place where you can go and 
get a sense of what's happening all over the world, not just in the parts of the art world that you're familiar with. And so a lot of people go looking for new ideas, new directions, new conversations in art. And then there's a central curated area that doesn't represent any one country. And that often kind of captures whatever the theme is in the world in general. So this biennial's theme is called The Milk of Dreams, and it's curated by Cecilia, who is looking at the ways in which we connect our bodies to the landscape and on the landscape to ecology, but also technology and this sort of spectrum from the technological to the body to the planet. Um, and this is clearly a very important question for us as a society right now. So often the, you, the Venice Biennial is kind of a moment of reckoning with the questions that are at stake in art as well as in the world. What a great way to describe it. I've never actually heard of it uh, described as the Olympics for the art world, but now you've said it, it does make so much sense. But am I right in thinking that the UAE is relatively new when it comes to exhibiting it at the Biennale? Why was it that you felt it was important to start participating, I guess, now when you've been, or I say you, the, the UAE, has been absent previously? So the UAE first opened a pavilion at the Venice Biennale in 2009. And you have to remember the Biennale has been going on for over a century. And so so for us to open a pavilion and show up every other year since 2009, in a way represents the UAE's commitment to its cultural practices and the art scene that's here. It's also important because there is such an interesting and unusual perspective on art making here. So there is a community of artists who've been practicing in the UAE since the 1980s. And you have to remember the UAE as a country only came into formation uh, in the early 1970s. And so in that period, artists um, who were coming into their own were watching the world around them change dramatically and very quickly from one that was um, less formalized as a country and into a formalized country that was investing in infrastructure, in education, in medicine, um, and in cultural development. And so by 1993, the first museum opened at the Sharjah Art Museum, and the first uh, Sharjah Biennial happened. And so slowly but surely, an art scene has emerged that was actually al already there, um, but it became more and more visible in the, the decades leading up to when the Venice Biennale started to represent the UAE. Ah, oh, right. I'm with you. And so this year, I guess, hence why we're chatting, is particularly important, I guess you'd say, isn't it? Why is that? So this year is important because this is the year that we show a solo exhibition by the artist Mohammed Ahmed Ibrahim. And he is one of these artists who's considered um, at the forefront of the avant-garde in the UAE since the 1980s. And this exhibition is a representation of his practice now, but also there will be a book that we're putting out that tells the art history around him and of his life story and the development of his practice in a part of the world that you have to remember wouldn't necessarily even had access to um, arts education um, and art supplies just because it was in the middle of developing from an infrastructure perspective. And yet very complex and nuanced thinking was happening among these artists. And so that is an important part of the conversation in the world about who is making art and how, and that we might want to pause for a minute and think, you know, not all art happens at these urban centers that we associate with with the art world. But in fact, there's incredibly interesting and important art happening 
and other kinds of centers of thinking and development. And for me, that's what the UAE does. And that's the goal for the pavilion this year is to get across that story. Mm, I haven't actually come across Mohammed's work before. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about him and his art and his, his practice? This is a remarkable avant-garde experimental artist who has chosen to make his life in the town where he was born, which is on the rocky east coast of the UAE, a small port town. And because of this landscape in many ways, um, his work has developed in dialogue with his landscape. And he has become known as one of the first land artists working in the region, possibly the first, as well as somebody who works in a very recognizable and unique language of his own visual form. So he does sculptures in paper mache and he does a lot of painting, often very abstract, looks a little bit like hieroglyphics. It is definitely his own voice, and that has come to be because of the community that he is a part of, where they were really pushing each other to innovate and experiment and to not worry too much about what other people think, but to um, stay true to your own art practice, which has allowed him to develop a very original and unique voice. And how was it that you first became, you know, acquainted with Mohammed, I guess, and, and were selected to curate this exhibition? So this will be the fifth exhibition that I have worked on with Mohammed Ahmed Ibrahim. The very first one was when I included his work in a show in 2014. But I had seen his work in 2012 or so. I saw a piece when I was doing a studio visit with somebody else. His work was there. And I remember thinking, this is amazing work. And I had no idea who made it. And the person explained to me that it was uh, a man who lived in the mountains in a very remote area and that he was known for making land art and that even the artwork I was seeing integrated bits from the landscape, such as leaves and, and dirt and sand. And it was like nothing I had ever seen before. And I made a mental note, this is an artist I need to find out more about. And as I began to find out more about him, I discovered um, the complexity and the depth of his practice. And I put a piece in a show in 2014, and then I did a studio visit in 2016 to Mohammed Ahmed Ibrahim. And in that moment, I realized not only was he making interesting work that I had seen, there was a whole ocean of work he had made that really hadn't been fully seen at all by anyone in an exhibition context. And I realized how important what he was doing was and that I had to find a way to work with him again. And so I did an exhibition that was a history of the experimental art making group that he's a part of. And in that process, I got to really know him and I interviewed him a lot and really started to understand the context in which he was working. And then after that, I commissioned him twice, once to make an installation for Abu Dhabi Art, and then again, another major piece for the Cultural Foundation. And in both cases, I realized that, you know, we we our backgrounds could not be more different and yet when it comes to art we were able to really understand each other at the you know at the unspoken level that art is it was this sort of affirmation of that what i saw and what i felt when i saw his work resonated with what he was trying to do with his work and that their his artwork becomes like a meeting point for people um, to understand both themselves and and the artwork. That is all sort of sets the stage for the moment when um, the UAE selected him to represent the UAE to the Venice Biennial, and they asked him to nominate a curator, and he nominated me. 
which the UAE approved. And I'm just delighted and honored that he chose to work with me on this project. Congratulations. And one of the challenges, I guess, that a podcast has is that it's not very visual, but for the purposes of maybe our listeners understanding a little bit more around what Mohammed has produced and, and what they can expect this year, are you able to paint a picture maybe of, you know, what works Mohammed is showing or kind of what the pavilion looks like? I will paint a picture indeed, especially for people who might never have been to the Venice Biennial. So imagine that you're you're in Venice, of course, the magical city of Venice, and you're in an old sort of brick, um, uh, looks like, like long rows of brick buildings that are made for storing boats, so very large high ceilings. And each one contains within it um, an incredible installation of art from a different country. And you come to the one for the UAE, you walk through the door, and in the middle of the room, you will see a single sculpture that fills the entire space. And you can walk around the outside edge of it. And I'm not allowed to give you too much detail yet, but I will tell you that what you'll experience is related to his, his own landscape in that it moves from color to black and white in the course of the, as you walk around it, you'll see a shift in color. And that that shift in color reflects his own experience in Corpacan, his hometown, because the sun comes up over the Indian Ocean, but there's this large mountain behind his town so that by the time the sun reaches the middle of the afternoon, the town is in shadow and they never see sunset. So he feels like color, the colors of sunset are missing from this town. And so for him, bright colors are about reintroducing the imagined colors of the sunset. So the name of the exhibition is Between Sunrise and Sunset, which is also both a reference to the mountain, but also a reference between the two coasts of the UAE. The sunrise is on one side, which is where he is, and goes down over Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Wow, what a great idea. That sounds amazing. It is. <laughs> What would you say is maybe the goal of the exhibition or what do you hope that it's going to make people feel when they see it? So my hope is that visitors will have the experience that I've had with this artist's work, which is that you think, you know, how, how impressive or surprising could it be to see a paper mache sculpture? That doesn't sound like much, right? But what these incredibly humble materials do is produce an effect that it feels related to your own body. Like these sculpture, the sculpture has a collection of forms that are related to either bodies or trees. And that sense of physicality in his work is really important to, um, to what, it, what he's doing. So you can see it on video or photograph and get some sense of it, but really it's about the movement through space of your own body in relationship to his sculptures. And so as you move, the sculptures seem to change form and to change shape because your perspective on them shifts. Um, and his work in particular lends itself to this effect. Some sculptures, all sculpture has this because as you move around it, your perception of it changes in three dimensions. But his sculpture in particular has this sort of undulating quality. And so I hope that visitors will take a minute to come in and walk all the way around the installation and, and experience this sort of undulation of these figures that he's created. And I do love increasingly the aspect of sculptures and having that ability to see works from a completely different perspective, you know, depending on your viewpoint. I know in our last episode, we spoke with an artist, Anton Alvarez, about some large clay columns that he'd recently created. And one aspect that I loved with those was that 
you know, as you walked around them, you would discover different parts and different sections to look at that caught the sunlight in a different way as you moved around. And it certainly sounds like our listeners will be able to have a similar experience when they enter the UAE's pavilion. But I guess at this point, it would be useful if you could tell us, you know, where we can actually find the pavilion within the Biennale itself. Okay. So the pavilion for the UAE is located in a section of the Biennale called the Arsenale. If you're looking at a map of Venice, the most famous part of Venice is uh, San Marco, which is a plaza. And if you were looking at the map, we would be to the right of the San Marco Plaza. And the Arsenale has many, many, many pavilions and a long, expansive exhibition running down the center of it. So we're one of many in that sense. And you can find us by going through the main exhibition. And then when you exit out the main part of the Arsenale exhibition, you'll see the pavilions. And we're right there. We're very located very close to the Mexico Pavilion, for example, um, as well as uh, Oman and Saudi. All the sort of newer pavilions are in this area. And then near us is the other part of the Venice Biennale known as the Giardini. And these are the older pavilions that have been there for the last century. Um, So you'll definitely want to visit both parts. But um, if you give yourself a whole day to get through the Arsenale and save time for the UAE Pavilion, for sure. Yeah, that's definitely a good tip. I know it always seems like such a um, monumental amount of ground to cover, I guess, when you first get to an art fair. And I know when I was at Art Basel towards the end of last year, I took a look at the map beforehand and then I worked my way up and down all the aisles, you know, quite methodically, so I didn't miss anything. But something that I would be interested to ask you, and I'm conscious that this question might be slightly contentious in in many ways, I guess, but it does seem like there's a lot more of a conversation around art in the Middle East at the moment and works are certainly gaining more traction than perhaps they did do previously. Why do you think that is? The question of why art in the Middle East is gaining more traction is a mysterious question because you can answer it on multiple registers. I'll tell you a story um, that I hope will help set the stage for why even asking this question is a challenge. So, of course, there has been art in the Middle East forever, right? You only need to look at the history of you know, Egypt, for example. has been making art since the beginning of time. But there was a moment where contemporary art was not understood to be being made here, when in fact it was. Of course, people here knew it was being made. But I knew of an Arab art historian who wanted to go to graduate school and do her PhD in the history of contemporary and modern art uh, in the Arab world. And the graduate school to which she applied said, well, probably you should go to the anthropology program. Because, and the, the underlying message being, there's not art coming out of the Middle East. This is an anthropological question. It's sort of a study of a society and of social behavior and of their material culture. So there's really sort of this, this idea that what's being made outside of the West is not actually art. Um, and so one of the big movements in academia in the last uh, half century has been changing that narrative and starting to recognize that there are multiple canons of modern art. There are multiple art histories around the world. Art history and modern art and contemporary art and the experimental art are not limited to Paris, New York, and London, right? This is, in fact, these really profound questioning of identity, culture, and so on through artistic practice has been happening in India and in Turkey and in Iran and in Cairo and in Lebanon, you know, all through all through the last century. 
And so the shift in interest in the Middle East, when you, when you phrase it that way, you're already putting yourself outside of the Middle East, right? So for people outside of the Middle East, why are they now interested in the Middle East? Um, and my answer would be that they're finally realizing that, in fact, there is an art history here um, and there is a contemporary art scene here. For people who are already in the Middle East, their interest in art is also growing, um, partly because infrastructure is in place such that we're able to focus on it. If you, as, a, as newer nations are developing and they're developing road systems and education systems and medicine, the first thing that happens in that process, the minute people have the sort of baseline needs met is that you start seeing art being made because this is part of what humans do to nourish themselves. Um, so, so I think that the, the, the explosion of attention on the Middle East is also in a way a counter narrative to the Middle East as the place where war happens. And this is what I call the sort of, you know, the news cycle version of the Middle East. But in fact, of course, art making has always been here. But, I've, but one of the ways to think about moving away from, you know, war, surviving and recovering from the trauma of war and, um, and refugee crisis and so on is actually artistic practice. And so the value and the the depth of the art that's coming out of this region is partly related to the most profound questions of humanity right now. Um, and I think that combined with the relative fast changing landscape, especially in places like the UAE, has triggered a bit of an interest internationally in what we're doing here. I think that's exactly it. And what a great analogy as well. It really does make you take a step back slightly and consider how even, you know, your own physical location can quite drastically impact, you know, the views that you have kind of outside of that. It's really important to remember that when you're asking about the art market and where things get value, it's also important to remember what position you're in when you're viewing value. Are you in, you know, literally where are you located and how are you thinking about that difference? So one thing I, I'm very fond of this particular saying, which is that when the Louvre Abu Dhabi was preparing to open in Abu Dhabi, one of the questions we heard very often here was, how will the Louvre change the art scene in the UAE? And I like to turn that around and say, actually, how will the art scene here change the Louvre? And that's sort of what I'd love to leave your listeners with, which is, you know, when we open up a dialogue across new cultures, that's a two-way street. And we're opening ourselves up to new perspectives um, and to potentially breaking out of some of the cycles that it's that I think we're all ready to break out of. Definitely. And I think there's certainly no harm in us all trying to continually challenge our own viewpoint. And look, Mayor, I'm conscious that I don't want to keep you for too long. And you've probably got a million and one things to do before the Biennale officially opens on the 23rd of April, right through to November the 27th, I believe. So there's definitely more than enough time for our listeners to stop by and take a look at the exhibition and also the Biennale themselves. But thank you again for taking the time to chat with us today. We really do appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thanks so much. Thanks for your interest and for your time. No problem. And that should just about conclude us for the latest episode of Temporary Emission. If you enjoyed the last 23 minutes, make sure to hit like, subscribe and follow and tune in next week where we'll be finding out more about the world's largest public art installation and how you can see it for yourself right here in London. Until then, stay safe, speak soon.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz, and I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.